I just want to pray before I do, okay? So if you can just um, pray with me, that'll be awesome. Father, I just want to pray and give you this, this next few minutes, Lord God, and ask that um, you will speak. Holy Spirit, you speak. You speak truth and revelation and understanding into our hearts, into our minds, so that we can be, Lord God, the people that you've created us to be even more so. That we learn and, and um, apply and align ourselves, Lord God, with your truth and your word. And as you already spoke this morning, Lord God, that your word is alive, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And that you want to bring, Lord God, a greater measure of your life in us. And not just in us, but also through us. So equip us this morning, Holy Spirit. Equip us, teach us, train us in your ways more. And Lord, I submit myself to you, Lord God, and I pray that you will um, just take control of my mouth. That the words I speak would be your words. And that um, those words would impart what you want to impart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, <clears throat> it was after our last um, and the very first time of this house having a week of prayer and fasting that the Lord actually laid on my heart in December that he wanted me to um, bring a message on um, principles of spiritual warfare. And um, I had a couple of months to really think about that and, 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 and pray about it. And to be honest, to live it. Especially the last four days, I can tell you, I have had, I haven't had such attack in a long, long time. Um, just in my mind, in my feelings, in, um, in perceptions and all kinds of things. But I knew what was going on, you know, and even this morning driving down the mountain, I was actually thinking, oh, I better call Ben and say, I can't do this this morning. And, uh, and I, and, but I felt the Lord, I felt the Lord say to me, now you got this, okay, because I'm with you. So I'm going to share, I'm just going to share, uh, I want to read this scripture to you. And I know we all know it, and some of us are even quoting it every day. But I want you to have a listen to it, what it actually says. It's the Lord speaking to Isaiah the prophet. And he says, no weapon turned against you will prosper or succeed. Okay, there's no weapon, no attack of the enemy that can come against us that will actually succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to judge, accuse, criticize, slander you. Okay, I will silence the voices. That's what God says. You will silence the voices. And that is by us aligning ourselves and standing in what God says, not what anyone else says. Not even what you tell yourself. Because our self-talk, I tell you, can be sometimes pretty off. Okay, we need to, we need to um, listen to the voice of God and we need to listen to the word of God. So, when we become born again, we not only become the family of God, we not only become the body of Christ, we also become part of the army of God. Okay, whether you like it or not, everyone born again here is part of the army of God. You are a soldier in the army of God. 
it's not just for the intercessors and the prayer warriors. Everyone is in the army of God and is a soldier. And our mandate, it's very simple, is to preach the gospel, to preach Jesus, and to advance the kingdom of God. To advance and establish the kingdom of God. To rule and reign with God here on this earth. So whenever we do anything for God, guess what? There can be, and usually is, a counterattack of the enemy. We, we read it and we heard about it in just a few weeks ago with Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a passion and a vision to build the wall of Jerusalem. And guess what? He came under attack. And so there's never anything we do for God that will not somehow bring some form of attack. Obeying the voice of God, following his call on our lives, building his church, embracing our purpose, embracing our identity. The enemy will come and attack. We most certainly will face opposition. Anyway, I don't want to focus this morning on the enemy at all. Okay? I don't want to give him no credit. I don't want to give him no place. Okay? Because guess what? He is a defeated foe. Okay, he is defeated already. We don't have to fight for defeat, to defeat him. Jesus already done that for us. Okay, and I don't want to create an atmosphere where we focus on destroying the powers of darkness either. Because, again, they're already defeated. Okay, they're already, they're already, um, Jesus has already done that. But our, our responsibility is to implement the victory he's already obtained for us. So we fight not for victory, we fight from victory. Okay, this is a really, really important mindset. Okay, we never fight for victory, we fight from victory. However, there are a couple of beliefs within the Christian circles and some churches, denominations, some movements and stuff like that. There's two extremes. One is, the devil doesn't exist. And the second one is, the devil is responsible for everything. Okay? I was discipled in the 80s. And in the 80s, it was very trendy to learn all about deliverance and spiritual warfare and all of that. So we saw devils and demons behind every tree. And um, I want to give you a story, okay? I had someone come up to me uh, that was, yeah, it was in the 80s. And their car lost their brakes, and it was the devil. And I said to them, it's not the devil. Have you checked your brakes? Do you look after your car? Because if you don't check your brakes, most likely your brakes will wear, and at one stage they will give up and they won't work. So it's not the devil, it's your responsibility. So I want to just say categorically, okay, we can't blame the devil for everything bad that goes on in our lives. We can't blame the devil for every problem and circumstance that we have, okay? Um, the Word of God encourages us, though, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, that to not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices and schemes, okay? There is a balance, okay? And it takes, it takes discernment, it takes for us to walk um, with the Holy Spirit, and we're not, even though we have an enemy, we are not giving him too much credit for everything, but we're also not ignoring that 
they are attacks on our lives, on our callings, on our identity. Okay, so we must acknowledge that we have an enemy who attacks us. However, I want to say it again, he is defeated. Jesus defeated him on the cross and when he rose again. Okay, he has no longer power over us unless we give it to him. Okay. And the enemy also is not your spouse or your neighbor or your boss or whoever else is giving you a hard time in your life. Okay. Ephesians 6, 12 says that we don't fight flesh and blood. We fight principalities and powers and authorities in high places. So, okay, so if you, if you have a difficult relationship or if you have someone that's giving you a hard time, okay, take it to God. Ask God to show you how to combat that. And I'll give you a little bit of a hint later on how you can actually do that. So there are three main areas, three main areas in our lives that, the, that we can come under attack. Okay, it's loss of courage, and that's what I felt under this morning as I was coming down the mountain. I just lost all courage. I just, I just had this fear come on me, and it's really uncanny because I haven't felt that for years and years. But so it's courage that the enemy attacks. He attacks our vision and our passion, the things that we have that God has given us a vision for, and the passion that God has given us for. The enemy will come and attack in that area. And the third one is our identity. Okay, who we are. And it's not necessarily even who we are. Um, it's actually the enemy attacks the image of God in us. Because we are created in the image of God. And if we don't have a revelation and understanding what that actually looks like in us and how that outworks in our lives, the enemy attacks us in that. Okay? that we don't know that we are created in the image of God, that we actually have, we actually look like Jesus. We're actually like Jesus because the fullness of God dwells in us. So, sorry, it's, uh, I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 10. And this is where we go into some of the more um, ways of spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Okay, this is spiritual warfare 101. Understanding we don't fight a spiritual battle in our own strength, in our own humanity. Okay, in, we don't fight it in the natural Okay, when things are difficult, we don't respond according to the circumstances. When things are difficult, we respond according to the nature of God, who God is. Not what the situation looks like, but who God is. And I, and I think I've shared that with you before. It's on a regular basis, when we face hard times, we should start take a step aside or step, step back and say, Father, who do you want to be for me in this situation, in this season? Who do you want to be? And you'll be amazed what, what he will tell you because that's exactly who he will be in order to empower you, in order to sustain you, in order to support you and help you. 
and give you strength. So he can be your good shepherd. He can be your keeper. He can be your healer. He can be your hope. Whatever it is that you need at that particular time, that's who God wants to be. And that's how we respond to the circumstances according to the nature of God that he wants to reveal. And we go, we go and we ask God for the strategy. We ask God how he wants us to fight, for a better word. How he wants us to overcome. Because the Bible calls us overcomers. Those who overcome. Those who overcome. So we are called overcomers. But not every strategy, not every principle will work in every situation. Um, David, when he came back from battle and he came back to his camp at Ziglag, okay, he found the camp raided. Everything was gone. Wives, children, everything was gone. And David did what we all should do. We should go away and inquire of God. Inquire of God and, and strengthen ourselves in God, encourage ourselves in God. Because God, God has the answer to every problem. He has a solution to every problem. We just got to tune in and find out what that looks like. So David heard from God and said, go after them. Go after them. And he got everything back. Everything back. So we need to inquire of God when we face circumstances and situations where we have got no answer for, where we don't know what to do, where we tear our hair out. We need to go to God and say, okay, God, you have the answer. You have the strategy. So I want to have a look at a story this morning in 2 Chronicles 20. I'm going to read it. It's, it's one of my favorite stories on warfare, 2 Chronicles 20, and it's all about Jehoshaphat. And we know, some, we know part of, of that story, but I want to read the whole lot. So we've got time. So after this, the armies, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Menuhites and all the other Bites declared war on Jehoshaphat. And a messenger came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord, and he prayed, O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler over all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built the temple and to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. 
and now see what the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they will reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. O oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord, with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Haziel. He said, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming out, coming up from the ascent of Sis at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshipping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. And early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing, give praise to the Lord, caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Monsir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Monsir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived, at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground for as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. And so on and so And at the end it says, When all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. What an incredible story. You know, we take, we know we know that you know we go, we go into battle with praise and worship, and that's the story that is always referred to. But I want to point something else out. Yes, it is praise and worship. Praise and worship is one of our principles of warfare, where we turn our focus off our enemy, we turn our focus off ourselves, we turn our focus of the situation and we focus on God and we give him all the praise and all the worship. And that's what we've done this morning. You know. There was such an incredible presence there for really God just showing up and showing off and doing what he wanted to do. I don't know. I know he's done something in me because otherwise I wouldn't be standing here probably. The way that I came in is not how I feel right now. And it was because, because there was a breakthrough anointing here, you know, for praise, through praise and worship. It is one of the most spiritual, the most powerful spiritual weapons. You know, a couple of weeks I shared about Paul and Silas. 
you know, when they were in prison, shackled. You know, prison doors slammed shut, shackled. They couldn't get out. At midnight, at the darkest hour, they sang praises to God and God opened the prison doors. And he will do the same for us. You know, we might not be in a literal prison, but we can be in a prison on our inside. We can be in a prison in our soul, in our spirit. Okay, we can be in a prison where we feel confined and contained and, and constrained and, and, and just feel miserable. But when we lift our voice in praise and worship to God, God, God can break the shackles. God can open the prison doors. You know, and we can walk straight out into our freedom because that's what he has done for us. Okay, so it's, it's important to know that, that there is immense power in praise, high praise, worship. It, it is one of the most powerful weapons in our warfare. And you know, when you're down and when you wallow and when you feel sorry for yourself, I know... I'm talking to myself, it's the last thing you want to do. You know, because you really don't feel like it. But we don't do what we feel like. We do what we know is the truth. And we, and we do what we know is a principle that God has given us to, um, in order to break through. But there is one more thing I want to point out here, and that I hadn't seen that one before um, until recently. It's in verse 18. It says, Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshipping the Lord. It wasn't, King Jehoshaphat wasn't secure and safe in his position as king and as a warrior, because most kings in those days were skilled warriors as well. Okay? He wasn't feeling too safe with his position, but he postured himself. He postured himself in humility, in submission, in yieldedness and surrender to the lordship of God in his life. And this is far more important than any position that you hold. Okay, we can, we can have a position of authority. And I mean, we all, we all have authority. That is what, God, what Jesus has given us. He passed on the authority over the enemy to us. And we can stand there and live in that. But sometimes our posture is far more important. You know, I share, you know, I said to you about the 80s. You know, back in the 80s when we did spiritual warfare, we hollered and shouted and screamed at the enemy and screamed at God, you know. And um, who was there? Who was doing that? Was I the only one who was doing that? I don't think so. But... But that's what we were taught. That's how we were praying, you know. We were shouting at the enemy and shouting at God. But you don't need that. You can be confident in the authority just using the name of Jesus and speak. But you can also humble yourself before God and posture yourself, you know, knowing that you can't do it. You can't overcome the enemy unless Jesus does it through you. Okay, so, so King Jehoshaphat could have really been cocky and say, well, God said he's with us, so let's go and do it. But no, he humbled himself. And what did they do? All the people, they were worshipping the Lord. Again, their focus was on worship, on who God is, who God was for them. 
Their focus was not on the enemy, on themselves, or even the victory. Their focus was purely on God. And when they went out the next morning with praise and thanksgiving, the Lord did exactly what he promised them he would do. He confused the enemy. They didn't even have to fight them. You know, when they got there, everybody was dead. Everybody was gone. There was no one to fight. So I want to encourage us this morning. When God has given you a word that he will fight for you or that he is going to be with you, guess what? That's exactly what he's going to do. Okay, God, is, God doesn't lie. So the Lord did what he had promised and fought against the enemies. What we focus on during the difficult circumstances is very important. If you focus on your problems, if you focus on your pity parties, you know, if you focus on your, even your self-righteousness, on your pride, or you focus on your self-sufficiency, because I can do this, you know, I know how to do this, you probably have a fall. Okay, because we have to focus on God, giving him all the praise and giving him all the worship. I want to read one more story. It's another funny one. It's in 2 Kings 6, and it's about Elijah and what happens at the end. So let me read to you. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately Elijah, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elijah warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. Okay, So the prophet was warning the king about imminent danger and war. So the king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? They said, it is not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elijah, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Be careful of the prophets. Go find out where he is, the king commanded, so, he can, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elijah is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elijah. Don't be afraid, Elijah told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elijah prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elijah was filled with horses and chariots of fire. And as the Aramean army advanced towards him, Elijah prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness, as Elijah had asked. Then Elijah went out and told them, You have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me, and I will take you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elijah prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elijah, My father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? 
Of course not, Elijah replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and then sent them home to their master after that. The Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. So what did they do there? Flop and heck, they fed them. Okay, the king wanted to come and kill them. And Eliza says, no, feed them. Feed them something. Make a feast for them. And then we read, they never bothered them again. Okay, it is a very unusual response, okay, to a victory and overcoming the enemy. But I'm a great believer, and I personally have proven this time and time and time again. Sometimes it's better to come in the opposite spirit than to fight. Compassion, generosity, acts of kindness disarms the enemy. Okay, and you know, sometimes you might even want to feed them. Okay, bake them a cake or take them some cookies or, or whatever. But I'm just saying it is more powerful to come in the opposite spirit with compassion, empathy, generosity than it is to pick a fight. Because when you fight, Usually, no one wins. No one wins. And um, I have a friend, and she used to say many, many years ago, um, when she had issues with her husband, um, she used to say to me all the time, she says, okay, the first one to the cross wins. Okay, the first one to the cross, the first one who goes to Jesus and just lays down their pride and whatever, their self-righteousness and their injustice and whatever, the first one to the cross wins. And um, it is important. Romans 12.21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And even Jesus, what did Jesus say in Matthew 5? Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Pray for those who abuse you, who take advantage of you, who persecute you in that context. Bless them. Pray for them, you know, ask God to shower them with blessing. And, um, and I think that is a real powerful strategy and principle in spiritual warfare. And um, I think it's really important, especially for among us, and I'm not just saying us, this house, but I'm talking about the body of Christ. Okay, I think if we can, if we can learn to have a little bit more compassion, you know, to be a little bit more generous and show acts of kindness more and more. That's what the world will take notice of. Okay, because at the moment, the world just sees a lot of Christians fighting. You know, and this movement is right and that movement is wrong and, and stuff like that. I said to Malcolm the other day, I said, you know, have a look at all these denominations you know, what, what have they in common? They all got Jesus in common. They all love God. They all believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So it doesn't matter what else goes on, really. If we don't show kindness, they'll never change anyway. 
Because if we're stuck up and we're criticizing and we're judging and carry on like that, that won't change them. You know, we found with, um, with people that said free care, you know, we get all kinds of people come, you know, and, and some of them, they really can rub you the wrong way. But you go, for me to go and tell them that they have to change this and this and this and this in their behavior or in their actions or whatever they do, that's not going to help them change. But if I show them love and acceptance where they're at, it actually empowers them. It empowers them to change. And they might actually come and ask you for some counsel. And, some, and then you can start telling them some of the principles that God gives you. So it's coming in the opposite spirit. And I tell you what, from experience, it is flippin' hard to do. It's not easy. Because all you want is justice. All you want is, you know, can't they see my point of view? It doesn't matter. Okay, you, you, you show compassion. Lastly, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, the majority of the attacks that we face are between our ears. It's up in here, what we're thinking, you know, what arguments we develop. Have you ever been in a situation where you had an argument or you've been in conflict and you've gone away and you kept on stewing on it? over and over and over again. So next time I see them, I'll tell them this, I'll tell them that. And it just never stops. You've got to stop. I have to stop. Because the mind is the battlefield. And you never win an argument if, you know, if you're on your high horse. Okay, and can I say something? Often your opinion doesn't really matter what your opinion is. Unless unless it comes from the Spirit of God and it comes lining up with the nature of God and the ways of God, okay, that's when I listen. So it's important that we stop these arguments and lofty opinions, okay? That's why Paul says in Romans 12 that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, okay? There are strongholds in our mind, Worry is a stronghold. Fear is a stronghold. Okay, there are strongholds in our minds. Unbelief is a stronghold. Doubt is a stronghold. Okay, so there is a right and wrong believing, believe it or not. There is a right and wrong believing. And they become strongholds. Whatever you dwell on, whatever stronghold you build, so you can have negative strongholds in your mind or you can have positive strongholds in your mind, okay? Because they become strongholds in our thinking and ultimately they will work themselves out how we live life. So one has to be destroyed, the other one has to be established. One opposes the knowledge of God and the other is in obedience to Christ in who he is. And we need to take responsibility for our thoughts. We need to take responsibility what we tell ourselves, our self-talk. I said that before. Okay. What, you, what are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself that you're no good? Or I'll never, I'll ne I can never do this? Do you tell yourself, uh, I'm too afraid to do this? 
you know, it doesn't matter. We need, we need to take responsibility also what comes out of our mouth. What's going on in here eventually will come out of your mouth, out of the abundance of the heart and what you're thinking the mouth speaks. And so we have, we have to take ownership of some of the stuff that's going on in our lives because maybe we've spoken it into being because we believed it. We believed something and then we spoke it and then now we're in this mess because we created it ourselves. Okay, again, we need to live according to the nature of God, who God is. Anyway, there are many, many principles of warfare. And I've only touched on those ones that I felt I had a little bit more experience in. But, well, prayer and fasting is another one I had a bit of experience in that. But, you know, you have prayer and fasting. You have the rest of God. Resting in God, knowing that God is going to be, you know, entering the rest by believing who God is. Sometimes it's warfare. So you don't have to stand up and holler and shout, which no one will do anymore here, will they? We won't be shouting at the enemy here or hollering at God. But, you know, resting in God. There are many, many other principles of warfare. And the key is, for every situation, for every circumstance, we inquire of God to give us the right strategy. See, what's right for one, okay, is not necessarily right for others. Even though Ben is going to have a season of prayer and fasting for 40 days one day. He'll fast for 40 days one day. <laughs> it, um, you know, it's when God tells you to do something, it's not a hard thing to do. With fasting, um, well, again, in the 80s, um, in where now was discipled, um, there was, in the house where we lived, we always had, Friday was fasting day. I was living in a girls' discipleship house, being discipled, and Friday was our fasting day. So that was the beginning of me, because the whole house did it. So everybody joined in, and um, so... That was the beginning of me laying hold of fasting and um, and spending the day as much as I could in in prayer with God and and stuff like that. And then in 2000, in the year 2000, um, I felt the Lord um, say that He wanted me to fast. I remember ex I remember the, exactly that. Actually, it was it was the first of March 1999 actually. And so I went to an afternoon service up in Brisbane at Mount Gravatt. And Wesley Campbell was, was there preaching. He's a guy from Canada and he's just a, a crazy revivalist. And he was on a mission at that particular time to raise up 100,000 people globally who would pr pray and fast for 40 days. And I got there at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, already fasted the whole day, and I knew that God wanted me to go on. So I did my very first 40-day fast from that day onwards. And um, because I felt the unction of God, so it, it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. It was water and juice. That's, that was my very first 40-day um, fast. And from then on, God just had called me for seasons of fasting. And, um, and sometimes it's a Daniel fast, like where you just have fruit and vegetables. Sometimes it's a, a juice fast. And I've done one water fast. 
And um, that was after that was after Azusa now. I uh, really felt God say, 40 day Jesus fast, only water. And um, I wouldn't say it was easy, but I did it with the strength of God because unless God tells you, you're not going to succeed. You get to the end of day one and you want, and, and you just how into the cookies or whatever, the cheese and crackers or whatever. When God says, when God says it's time to fast, it, he, he gives you the grace and the strength to do it. And, um, and it's part of, it's part of what Jesus has taught. He didn't say if you fast, he say when you fast. So there are seasons in all of our lives where God most likely will ask you to, um, to establish some fasting in your practice. And it doesn't have to be the whole day. It can be just, um, you know, sundown to sundown or whatever. Um, so you can have, you can have dinner or whatever, but it's, it's a journey. It's a journey. And I haven't fasted for a while yet because I'm working out in the gym, so that doesn't go very well together. But I know there's seasons, you know, when God will, will say, you know, do another 40 day fast. But I tell you what, after that water fast, after Azusa now, all hell broke loose in my life. All hell broke loose. That's when I got sick with cancer. That's where, that's when other stuff in my emotions went down. That was very traumatic. Um, and I must say, I'm coming out the other end. Um, because God, God is faithful and He honors, when we obey Him, He honors what we're doing. And, um, is that, is that okay? Yeah. Alright. So I want to pray. I want to pray because I want us to lay hold of, um, I want us to lay hold of that it is so imperative that we don't fight for our victory. That we know that we are standing in the victory that Jesus already accomplished for us on the cross and when he, when he rose again. And the promise is that he will come again. You know, that is the other thing. You know, he will come, he will come again. And, um, and he's with us now, but I'm looking forward when he comes again and I can see him. Okay, why don't we stand, hey? <clears throat> Actually, I want to say one more thing before, before um, I pray. It was actually during that 40-day fast, the water fast, um, I think I was into it about eight days. That's when um, Brad actually approached Mel and I in regards to merging the church. And, um, and I think when, when we enter seasons of prayer and fasting, God will actually establish some real powerful new things and seasons in our lives. And, um, and I'm not saying he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have done it when I, if I didn't fast, but I'm just saying it gave me then um, more ammunition to really pray into that merge and to really seek God, um, whether this is of Him or, or just a, a good idea. Or, um, and I honestly believe today more than ever before that this is really a God thing. 
you know, we've been through some ups and downs and we've been through some tough times and, and stuff like that. But I want to I wanna decree and declare again that this, our community, is in the perfect plan of God for this city. And what, what's happened, what's happened is a, is, is a God thing. So, um, Father, I just want to thank you that um, you lead us into seasons of um, warfare and overcoming in our personal lives, Lord, corporately as a church, Lord God. Father, even in this city, Lord God. Father, in our nation, Lord. And I want to pray for each and every one of us here that first and foremost we all would have the understanding that we are soldiers in the army of God. That there is a battle, but the battle is yours because you already have won the victory. And we stand in this victory. We stand in that power. We stand, Lord, in the accomplishment of the cross, the finished work of the cross, the resurrection, and knowing that, Lord, it is, it is the victory that um, you want us to live in each and every day, Lord God. Breakthrough, Lord God, in finances, breakthrough in marriages, breakthrough in relationships, Lord, breakthrough in business, work, promotions. Lord, anything, Lord God, that we face, Lord, on a daily basis, Lord God, I pray that you would establish us in courage, in vision, and identity, Lord God. That you would... Be so strong in those areas in our lives, Lord God, that we will not waver. Lord, that we will not give the enemy a foothold, but that we would stand in who you have created us. Lord, we are made in the image of God. And we live in that and we stand in that, Lord God, and we pray that the world will take notice. And as we live in that victory, as we stand in that place, Lord God, that Jesus would be seen in us and through us as we go about our day-to-day -day lives, Lord God. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.